Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Ryan Terribellini is from Silicon Valley in California. He's an entrepreneur, formerly worked for Google and Ripple. He had the experience of coming to Taiwan while working for Google, and that got him to like Taiwan. So later, he had the opportunity to do so on a couple of grounds. One was being that San Francisco is sister city with Taipei. He got a scholarship from the Taipei city government to continue his Chinese studies. Today, though, he is going to begin by talking about this other research grant from Taiwan that he got to write a paper. And then the second was actually a research grant on that paper that I sent you. The research grant was provided by the Global Taiwan Institute.、Uh-huh. This is a, a nonprofit think tank headquartered in Washington D.C. Oh, okay. Dupont Circle.、Right. So they're kind of the, you know,、uh, leading voice for Taiwan policy issues that they give. They provide testimony to U.S. Congress,、uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, those type of groups.、So、wow, sounds so important. It's awesome stuff. Yeah. Because、yeah. as an American living in Taiwan, I want to connect the dots as much as possible. How long did it take you to do the research for this、uh, this paper? It was about a full year end to end, and luckily I, I had some great、uh, help on the research side from、uh, you know friends and students at National Taiwan University and students.、Uh, students are very helpful. Students are very helpful, so <laughs> kind of helped me structure the research, organize interviews, those type of things. Oh, okay. How many pages is the paper? How many?、Mm, I, I think don't the、know. final one will be twenty five. Okay. Pages, single space, twelve type, yeah, small, <laughs> small typeface font. So、okay. it's,、right. it's over ten thousand words. So it's、uh, definitely one of the longest research works I've ever written. Yeah, even longer than the stuff I wrote at Oxford. Well, that's that sounds impressive. I mean, one year research, but I think you packed a lot into one paper for a one year research. You know, I feel like it could. It, it definitely could spawn off into a bunch more papers, but the high level idea that I wanted to capture is. Uh, people who are familiar with Taiwan's modern history kind of know the Taiwan miracle, Taiwan's status in Asia as one of the four Asian tigers. Right.、Um, so the conditions under which that happened, there are similar circumstances in places like Korea. So you know you have kind of like a military-led government that institutes special government or economic policies that creates better living conditions as the country gets richer. Right. So you import more products, more money comes in, that creates more factories, more wealth, more. Products, etc. Right, and and that process ultimately led to Taiwan's democratization in some way because it was、mm. like labor organization and people starting to fight more for their rights. So that's like okay, the Taiwan economic growth created the conditions for democracy. Now that Taiwan is a democracy,、okay. how does it manage the economic process differently、yeah. than it did when it was just the KMT running yeah, the government?、So. Yeah, you reminded me that actually Taiwan went through what China is going through now、mm. at some point. And how Taiwanese people used to be just laborers, and how now they learn to enjoy life, and you know take trips abroad and see the world,、yep. that kind of stuff. Middle class,、um, yeah, growing, middle, growing right, a lot. right. Yeah,、um, you had some recommendations for Taiwan,、mm. like about five. How do you think we're doing? I think in general, Taiwan is on a good economic path. I think like the new southbound policy has been showing more and more success as time has gone on. Right. It's not、um, something where you can just flip a switch and all of a sudden like there's all these bilateral trade ties or cultural exchanges with the countries in the new southbound policy. So I think、uh, the Tsai administration has done well in at least shifting. You know, the economy is like a boat, right? Like it's a big. 
tanker, right? Uh-huh. It's not an agile speedboat where you can just move around, right? You have right. to start to reorient the economy towards these markets. And demographically, those are growing much faster. Like China's economy is slowing right now. Whereas these other, uh, you know, young populations, emerging middle classes across Indonesia, Malaysia, these type of places. So I think generally it's a good idea. Um, when it comes to how does Taiwan become more software friendly? Because obviously traditionally the uh, technology emphasis of Taiwan is actually on semiconductors and hardware and things like that. I think that also kind of requires a change in the cultural emphasis of education and like what the um, education system promotes in terms of what type of computer knowledge. So rather than focusing on like electrical engineering, it might be more computer science focused. So, okay. I mean, I, I've seen from me growing up, Stanford and Berkeley, places like that, seen less and less people focusing on the hardware side of things and more people focus on software development in those, in those type of universities and programs. Right. And so you're saying that Taiwan should develop more software yeah, I think so. Because it's it, it's hardware is already up there. It's, it's good enough, and it should develop more hardware, software, right? It should continue to develop hardware. Oh, okay. That's, that's a big, uh, you know, I mean, obviously yeah. the infrastructure is in place. There, right. right. TSMC and those type of companies innovating and keep doing things. Uh, I think my bigger point is that the growth for that in the economy has already happened. A lot of other countries like South Korea or Vietnam or these countries, or even mainland China, right? They already have the capacity to do the same types of things. Mm-hmm. So it's increasingly competitive. The margins are squeezed more and more. So it's harder for Taiwanese manufacturers to compete in hardware sectors. And a lot yeah. of that has happened just in the last 20 years. So mm. uh, actually, at the beginning of Chen Shui-bian's administration, when Tsai Ing-wen was the uh, chairwoman of the Mainland Affairs Council, right? Uh, it was prohibited for a lot of Taiwanese business to go invest and build factories in the mainland. Yeah, right. They lifted that prohibition. That you're right. Yeah. 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 And wow. then that led to, you know, an influx of Taiwanese capital going over to the mainland, like the Foxcons and those type of companies. And uh, a lot of technology transfer, which helped China really catch up. Uh-huh. Because 20 years ago, China was nowhere near the juggernaut it is. You know, Huawei, I don't even know if Huawei existed in 2000. So, so China needs to thank us. <laughs> to an extent, yes. But now the irony is with the U.S.-China trade war, you yes. know, now a lot of the, the manufacturers that had gone to China 20 years ago are now coming back to Taiwan to yes. avoid the, the tariffs that are imposed by the right. Trump administration on those goods. So That's it's right. all like circular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really funny. But that's just how things work around the world, I guess. What other recommendations you have for Taiwan? I don't have a, a firm recommendation on this one, but something needs to be done to increase wages for young people. Yes, you mentioned Wage stagnation that. Is, is really uh, a vexing problem, I think, for economists. But the, the economic growth at like a GDP level looks good. Uh-huh. But it's like, how do you actually create some trickle-down effect to increase people? Because the living cost is going up, but I haven't seen wages rise no. commensurately at all. That's just why... A lot of young Taiwanese people, they all want to go study abroad or they go work in China where the pay is three times more. What do you think the problem is? Why the wages has been so stagnant for, I don't know, for decades now? I think part of it is maybe the inherited kind of corporate culture from Japan where it's like very hierarchical, uh, very much like, you know, the boss is the boss based on seniority and they get this. And then if you're below that, like there's no sense of market competition for different types of skills or jobs. It's, hmm. it's almost like the, the, the managerial underclass has been commoditized to the point where it's just like there's no uh, market competition that I see to raise wages in those sectors. Huh. That's a, that's a good point to ponder on, really. Yeah. But um, living expenses compared to the rest of the world is still pretty attractive. Not that high. Absolutely. You know? Especially compared but, to other you know, capital cities in yes. East Asia. Yeah. It's fantastic, yeah. You're listening to In the Spotlight 
with Shirley Lin. Other recommendations? Yeah, I think I think uh, the National Development Council, they've got, uh, you know, uh, different initiatives, uh, five plus two plan, things like that. So Are they an infrastructure plan? Uh, it? It's infra- it's more than it's infrastructure. More... It's also it, it's a wide spectrum of things. So it's yeah. also increasing bilingual education. So oh, making, that's right. uh, you know, English more of a business friendly language. So for me, having come here and done entrepreneurial things, uh, the barrier to uh, incorporate a company, set up bank accounts, figure out accounting practices, go to the tax office, is all completely unfeasible if you do not have some working knowledge of Chinese unless you just decide to basically hire somebody to do it all for you. Even then, uh, you still probably need to have some understanding of Chinese, right? Yes. I often say to people, um, I can go set up a company in Singapore in three hours, but in Taiwan it takes three months. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not to to say the entire uh, gears of the Taiwan bureaucracy are are broken or not working. It's that uh, they could use some greasing and some modernization in some places. I agree. Uh, Because it is still completely Chinese language driven. And if Taiwan's actually trying to become kind of an international destination for setting up uh, business, because it's very geographically well located, you can create different tax incentives or programs for entrepreneurship, then it really needs to uh, anglicize a bit. Yes, I agree. You know, I know Taiwan just wants so much to be globalized, okay, Uh, promoting its globalization. But I always think that, well, then you need to really master your English. But it seems like it's so hard for Taiwanese people. Why do you think that is so? Well, See, I mean, I don't, want, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to sound too. Uh, no, it's okay. I think dismissive. they need to hear it. <laughs> well, I, I think one thing is that, uh, as far as I can tell, um, from lots of the English language programs that I've seen, you know, these kind of private schools where they send the children when they're young and they're quite expensive, as far as I know, oh, I don't yeah. really know what the cost is. Uh, I don't want to say the English teachers are unqualified, but for, from what I understand, people that I've met that teach English there. They don't have any background in teaching, teaching. necessarily. Mm. They just happen to be native English speakers. Uh-huh. And uh, having studied Chinese, I'm like, wow, now that I've studied Chinese and see how that language functions, I really think English is quite a complicated language, you know, with <laughs> yeah. the phonetics and the grammar and it all is. these tenses and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have any qualification or linguistics background to have methods to actually teach English effectively, I mean, it's one thing to teach English in the like Apple cat, dog, you know, just like vocabulary, but it's another to teach it, uh, you know, to write it fluently, to, you know, expand on different Mm. ideas or have different structure and syntax and things like that. That's maybe there'll be a business for you. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm not capable of get some, you know, talents in that, in that sense. So, so I, I should can... I should shout out uh, David <laughs> David Chang at, at Crossroads. He's doing a lot of work on that. I, I that is true. You know well, I have interviewed. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. So I guess he's on it. Well, he's on more important things. But he, we, he, we need he, talents he, like you. He's also well. He's also doing. Uh, he's working very closely with people in the government on that bilingual English language yes. initiative. So that's right. I'm sure that's they will right. have much more concrete recommendations then, than I can develop. Okay. So. <laughs> All right, where do you want to go from here? Um, you've mm. got a lot of ideas, and um, what what is something that you really would like to accomplish? Sort of like a, a near dream that you have. So uh, one vision I have for Taiwan that I think would be very interesting and relevant, given its uh, political this ambiguity of Taiwan's political status, would be the idea of creating like a digital citizenship or digital residency. For people who do not actually live in Taiwan, but people who uh, kind of associate or want to be a member of 
the ideas of Taiwan, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, Taiwan's obviously formally excluded from lots of international organizations and bodies such as the UN. Yes. But, you know, the Republic of China on Taiwan maintains sovereignty and through the power of cyberspace or digital information exchange, people can say, you know, I want to set up a business digitally in Taiwan or I want to um, domicile some sort of idea or some sort of intellectual property in Taiwan, things like that. Mm. So if you can... Without having to be here physically. Yeah, without having to be here physically. So Estonia Mm. has kind of pioneered a similar program in Europe. So like right now, my brother lives in the UK in London and, you know, Brexit's creating some uncertainty around, you know, how you do business in the continent. So he can stay resident living in London, but he can incorporate, he can become a digital resident of Estonia and incorporate a business there and then still accrue all the benefits of mm. having a business in the EU. Okay. What, what if Taiwan did something similar? Wow. It's really at the crossroads of manufacturing. You can create, I mean, there's service industry here for accounting or finance or banking. Those are all available and should be more competitive. So, so you that's can what pl- you want to do. Plug all these things into a digital infrastructure where... Taiwan doesn't need to focus as much on state-to-state relations because we see, you know, Taiwan's remaining diplomatic allies dwindling by the year, huh. <laughs> right? Go yeah. from, in Tsai's first term, right? Go from yeah. 21 to 15 because China just keeps poaching and poaching yes. and poaching. What if Taiwan instead built systems and programs that connect their existing ministries or government systems? And, Among and, these and, diplomatic allies? And f- Not amongst the diplomatic allies, oh, but from, just... the, from the state of ROC, Taiwan, to, to individual citizens of other countries. Oh, okay. So I call it state to citizen relations. So rather than state rather than focus on state to state diplomacy, what can Taiwan do to actually uh, get buy in or soft power interest from people in other countries around the world who want to do business in Asia? All right. Well it's been awesome listening to you, um, Ryan, and um, thank you so much for having such vision for Taiwan. Good luck with everything you're doing for mm-hmm. us here. <laughs> I hope I can execute on some of these visions. Yeah, I think you you want to. So it's just maybe getting to the right people and the tra- right channels. And um, it, it always helps to get government assistance. But yeah. to reach that is uh, a challenge in itself. It's a long game. Yes, it is. So absent of me becoming a legislator one day, I'm not sure what I can do in the short term. <laughs> Other than work with great ministers and, and great people in the Taiwan government. Okay. Well, you know some great people that yeah. I've interviewed. And I think if you guys were all, were all to work together, it, it helps. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much thank you for, for coming me, in. Yeah. Good luck. Okay. Thank you. 